Hello, and welcome to the Christchurch Fox Chapel podcast, the fastest growing conservative, evangelical, charismatic, Anglican podcast in the entire Fox Chapel area. We have a table this week. We've really come up in the world. A round table. I thought we were exiled from the room that we were actually recording in before. Yeah, we've been thrown out by uh, the electrician who's fixing the parlor, but we're here in a different studio this mm. week. I'm joined. God can do a lot of powerful things in exile. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. We have 70 years in this parish hall, and yes. then we can return to Jerusalem. <laughs> God, is, and God is yet with us. I'm joined by Ben and Ben. I'm Alex. Hello. I work here. Hello. <laughs> and uh, we're looking at another lie today. I love these two lies that we've got. And uh, last week's lie was that you're not good enough. And this week's lie is that you are good enough, because Satan's quite happy to talk out of both sides of his mouth at once. Mm-hmm. and quite happy to mingle truths with falsehood and uh, quite happy to have you believe two things at once or neither uh, as long as he gets you. And uh, Ben, you're preaching this weekend. I am indeed. I'm finding it uh, overwhelming and hard to sift out like and to untangle all the lies and and, uh, the various messages that Satan gives, that the culture gives. And uh, it's really interesting. But I think the gospel has a lot to speak to this and a lot to correct in us. And I know I've been culpable in this lie, too. I've said it to people. I've said it to myself. And uh, it's it's pervasive through our world and our culture and is dangerous. It's interesting. Yeah. The idea that you're good enough. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I was talking to Stephanie, my wife. Uh, who's much smarter than I am, uh, just earlier this morning about about this sermon and what I was reading and thinking about. And she made the comment that I thought was really good, that uh, that this lie, you're good enough, is often used as the response uh, to the last week's, that you're not good enough. Uh-huh. That That when people feel down about themselves, when they feel unworthy, the false lie that's given as a response or as an answer or as a gospel is yeah. no you're good enough you're you're a good person you've done an, enough good things and it's kind of given as a redemption as a gospel message uh to counter the other lie it is sort of the modern secular uh affirmation in the in the response to this sort of old christian uh it seems like that america's in many ways like people are haunted by this idea that we are uh, sinful and deserving of wrath. And so, you know, people think of like, uh, the classic Jonathan Edwards sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God that yeah. every elementary school kid reads. And, um, and they're you like, read that in elementary school. Well, maybe it was your teachers school. must have been sadists. I mean, I didn't, I, <laughs> I didn't went to a church of England primary school. We just danced around a maypole and did fertility rites. <laughs> wow. Pagan past. Oh, that's yeah, that's a very different schooling experience than I did. But, um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, like this, this, this haunted feeling. And so the response is to say, like, no, you are good enough. You are worthy. And, um, and there's no real reason. Uh, maybe it's like the criticism that we would have is like, what's the, why? <laughs> like, what, when you say you are good enough, uh, what do you mean by that? And what merits do you rest upon? Mm. Well, whether it's comparing yourself to somebody else or comparing yourself to your old past, it, in none of these situations are we really comparing ourselves to God yeah. <laughs> and God's standard. Uh, 
Yeah, we like to position ourselves as judge and the having the ability to judge what is good and right and what is mm-hmm. uh, acceptable and what is enough and what is not enough. Right. And we usually use ourselves as the standard of like, am I better than these people over here? Am I not a murderer like that guy? Am I not uh, greedy like that person? Um, you know, I'm n- maybe not as good as that person over there, but I think I'm good enough if that's the standard that we use. Like a it's British subjective. Leyland vehicle from the 1970s. You're going to have to spell out that metaphor for me because I don't have that Well, there was a sense. So they, na- <laughs> they nationalized some, some important uh, motor manufacturers in the UK in the 70s, and they produced rubbish. A, a lot of horrible vehicles came out of, of mm. Birmingham and came out of Preston. And, uh, you know, th- I think their, m- their motto, I don't know if it was actually written above the factory door, but was, you know, that'll do. It's good enough. <laughs> it's, it's close enough. And, and as a result, they, they made absolute awful vehicles. And, uh, you know, and refrigerators too. Yeah, you need those Germans who are obsessed about every minutia. It's not good enough. To uh, yeah, you you need you need so, some self-effacing yeah. Germans to make your vehicles. So you That's mean, how like, you know like it's good enough well. is the quintessential British lie, and it's not good enough is the quintessential German lie. <laughs> and the French just eating cheese and partying and having wine, and like we've made this horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, it's great. We could look at scripture. Um, that would be a good idea. I would really yeah. love to talk about some of those old cars, but that's probably for a different podcast. Yeah, maybe um, we should start an offshoot podcast. Alex talks about old cars and how they relate uh, to the gospel. Yeah. Spin- oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in spring 2021. Yeah. Great. That's a promise, folks. No, I'm kidding. I've got my first car chosen. All right then. So, uh, the Lancia Delta Integrale. Let's let's look at Romans chapter three. Uh, who will read for us? I can read for us. Cheers. I think it's chapter three, verses twenty-three through twenty-five. Great. And this is setting the scene, right? Yeah, I think this is a foundational kind of. This is a um, foundational passage through which the rest of the message is going to be preached. Mm. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is great. It does set the scene, doesn't it? That all have have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And We, we have examined sin as a motif before in that hamartia Greek word describing missing the mark in a literal sense. That's what it means to yeah. miss a mark. And uh, it is what an arrow does when it falls short of a target or goes wide of it or whatever. Anything but perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore sin is to not be good enough for God's perfect standard. Uh, and then here Paul has that phrase, fallen short, which is just amplifying that sense of uh, of of not being perfect. And so there's the standard, right? The standard is perfection. Yeah, God's holiness. And the I think the key words just to notice then in this is all. Like, none of us are exempt from this. None of us have lived lives that can uh, be worthy of the holiness of God. And I think it's also important, too, to think of sin not as just our actions or our, our individual acts, but uh, 
the scripture talks all the time about sin as an individual, as a uh, sorry, as a singular, like mm. sin versus sins. Oh, this and is really sin, important. Yeah, sin as as a state of being mm-hmm. that we're separated from God, and there's this uh, chasm in between us that cannot be passed and cannot be crossed between us and the holiness of God and the fallen nature that we live in as opposed to the acts that are an expression of that nature. Right. So sin is kind of that state of being and sins plural are maybe the acts that are an expression, the outward consequences of so, inner fallenness. So if we're just dealing with sins, then we're, it's like we're playing whack-a-mole with a bunch of, bunch of symptoms instead of yeah. dealing with like the underlying disease. It's like, no, you have, you actually have cancer. Like mm. this is, uh, this is way more deep rooted than you think it is. You can't just fix the little, yeah, uh, externals and think that the under, that the sub, the whole is okay. Or like Isaiah says, you know, I'm, woe to me for I'm a sinful man uh, and I and I, or woe for me, I'm an unclean man and I come from a people who are unclean, um, and and so he's in this condition. Not only is he unclean, but he's surrounded by uncleanness. Yeah. And so even if he were to get himself clean he'd still be surrounded in a world that's fallen and uh, I- infected by sin. Mm. Yeah, and I think if we only view sin as actions, as as individual acts that we can commit or not commit, then we lean into the idea that we can just become better on our own, that that by my efforts I can stop sinning right. and I can, I can get better at, at not sinning. And I think that's a lot of what's behind the idea of being good enough. Yeah. Of I being a person right. who is uh, not sinning and who can be content with the life that they live and the acts that they do or don't commit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's. I think that's true. And then you see it here uh, that that then the the opportunity for grace suddenly becomes very clear that yeah. it's possible to have grace. Um, so we're not actually justifying ourselves. Uh, that's never going to happen. But we're not left on our own yeah. in this mess. Yeah. Um, who was that bloke who just walked through the studio? Uh, I think it's the air conditioning, or no, it's the electrician. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the reason we got kicked out of the other studio. And now he's coming to this studio and slammed the door. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty unprofessional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have expected yeah. that we would be recording in the parish hall. Of course. <laughs> we need to get one of those like lights that says like live on air. The red on blinking uh yeah. Well yeah, and I love this first because it at the same time it says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. And we're justified by his grace as a gift. That's where salvation comes from. And and knowing those two at the same time like that we're sinners that we've fallen short of God's glory, but the re- response the the solution is that grace has been given as a gift yeah, mm. through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, not by anything that I've done or anything that I can do, but God has given me this gift to overcome sin and to, uh, to come into his presence and to be called his child. One of my heroes is a guy named, uh, he, he died a few years back, but he was a pastor named Jack Miller, and he always used to, he had this motto, uh, he said, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> and and, uh cheer up you're worse than you think because uh only when you realize just how how messed up you are and yeah are you actually able to accept 
the the real grace and real mercy from a real Christ that's really blood bought. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're just kind of like pretending and trying to make it better. And then the words flow, don't they? Justified, made righteous, um, yeah. and and legally given this status as a righteous person by His grace as a gift. And I mean, I'm not looking at the original language, but grace and gift are often very similar yes. words. Hmm. Um, I've been gifted a gift or graced with a grace. Um, and then, so, I mean, I sometimes I think Paul just t- uses this amplifying language because he suspects that we really don't believe it. Hmm. <laughs> well, and the, yeah, it's connected to uh, to the cross and what Jesus has done. And if if we're not willing to receive grace as a gift, as the only gift that can bring us to salvation, as the only gift that can make us worthy and good enough, then we're kind of undermining the work of the cross mm. or counting it as nothing because what did, what did Jesus come from if all of it, all it takes is for us to be good enough? So seeking to be good enough is a denial of, of the necessity of the cross and the work of the cross. It's a form of blasphemy, really. Yeah, I think so. And I think if we're, if we're preaching the gospel of you're, just, you're a good person, you're good enough, then all it makes Jesus into is this kind of warm, fuzzy, self-actualization guru, which is the words of my wife, uh, who's much smarter uh, than me again. That's pretty cool. And, but and like, it yeah, I, it just turns Jesus into a nice teacher who makes you feel good about yourself and doesn't ha- say anything about the cross. And it turns you into a god or one like God, which is actually, wasn't that Satan's first ploy in the very beginning of Genesis 3 anyways? When he you'll sees that like you'll god. be like him. Yeah. Yeah. That God is afraid of you becoming like him. There's a lie. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that'll. And so, and so, hell is filled with nice people. Yeah. The people who paid their taxes and walked old ladies across the street and made little cookies and were civic-minded and y- through every generation and and in every culture, which has to some extent defined its own morality, the most moral people from that culture will be there in hell. Yeah. And heaven will be filled with the riffraff. And um, the ex-murderers and... Jokers, no hopers, and rogues. Yeah. Just... just uh, The worst of the worst. The barber. The barbarous. No, not barbers. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no barbers. <laughs> just hairdressers, people who work in nail salons, boutiques, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly excluded. <laughs> All right. So, Romans... Uh, ben, as I understand it, the, the, the deal is that you're actually going to spend more time in, in Luke. I think so. Or we'll I'm have still done. figuring it out for the sermon. This is Tuesday oh. uh, of the week before so hard. Uh, this sermon will be preached. So the sermon is in progress, but I think we're going to look more at the, at the episode here in Luke, the parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, 9 through 14. All right. Uh, I read the last one, so someone else can read this one. You got it, Alex. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, like barbers and people like that. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, 
standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Yeah, so... uh, Overlap with language, justified. That's that's another key word of, yeah. of being made righteous. And here Jesus is telling this parable of someone who is, by the standard of the day, really up there, great, good, moral person. Uh, and also juxtaposed with someone who, by the standards of the day, is a terrible person. Yeah. In, the, in that culture, you see tax collector, you think bad person, traitor, yeah. like scum of the earth. Uh, this tax collector by virtue of who he is and what he does is not a good person. Right. Well, it's cuz it's not just like the like some sort of caste system where he happened to be born as an untouchable, right? Like you become a tax collector through your own cho- like he chose to be a tax collector and he chose to conspire with the Romans at some point. Um he chose to do all this to extort and stuff like that. And so this is a person who is actually morally culpable for things that he has done. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's chosen to raise funds for the occupying forces of paganism and to cream off some of that for himself uh, to line his own pockets. So there's all sorts of judgment that would go with that, including just political hatred. Yeah. You've you've really worked against the Jewish nation. Good thing we don't have any political hatred nowadays to deal with. Quietly governed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Placid. Very much so. So this is really relevant to us. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? This? Yeah. Well, and I, I think that I am so struck by this parable consistently every time I read it. Like, and even the opening line when I was reading it earlier today, uh, Jesus is telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous mm. and treated others with contempt. Um, how often is that me? Oh, how yeah. often is that us? that I trust in myself, that I'm righteous. And I think that is just the idea of being good enough, that I'm I'm good enough and I'm not like these other people. So the fruit of thinking that you're good enough is that you start to judge other people. Yeah, Why can't you so. be like because me? Because if I my, my, my judgment that I'm good enough is based subjectively on how I compare with other people who are bad, who are not good enough. Yeah. Like at least I'm not like those those guys. At least I'm not doing those kind of things. And... Uh, you know, my self-righteousness is built up in comparison to others. And that's just, uh, Jesus rebukes right. that. What's well, that grading on the curve thing again? You know, like, as long as I can find some people who are worse than me, surely I must be okay. Yeah. But, yeah. But you're not looking at Jesus. You're not looking at Jesus as your savior, and you're not looking at Jesus as your standard. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's almost like we can't really look at Jesus and understand him as our savior if we don't also look at him and understand him as our judge. Yeah. Yeah, and always with these lies of Satan, with this half-truth, there's the pulling apart of the whole truth. A sort of, well, we're going to look at a sliver of the truth here and then wrap that up in a lie. So whether it's looking at how good God is and then just assuming, therefore, we can never get there, whether it's looking at you know how good we are and assuming that, well, we just must be there, in both of those scenarios, you've really taken away the holiness of God and the grace of God. And both of these passages we're seeing in multiple different ways, the holiness of God and the grace of God go hand in hand. Yeah. Mm. 
and what the work of the cross does mm. in the midst of, of both of those. Like the work of the cross has something very distinct to say about those who believe the lie that they're not good enough. You're, Jesus died for you. Jesus loved you enough to give his, lay down his life for you and to bleed and to suffer for you. Uh, you're absolutely good enough in his eyes for that. But those who believe the lie that I'm good enough need to see the cross and what she, the weight of sin that Jesus bore on the cross for right. them. Like, that's my sin there that he bore. And that's my sin that held him there. And, um, it, you know, the cross and the work of grace cuts through both of these like a mm. sharp two-edged sword. Yeah. Preserving the truth of the holiness of God, admitting our falling short, mm-hmm. but then preserving also the grace of God in reaching out to you to redeem you. Yeah. Uh, I see, so this guy then, the uh, the tax collector, is he actually doing good theology? Mm. In what ways? Well, he if he says, have mercy or be merciful to me, a sinner, I guess con- contained within that is the idea that God might be able to be merciful. Because he doesn't say, woe to me, I'm a sinner, therefore I might as well give up. He's actually gone uh, to the temple in the parable. He's actually asked for mercy in the parable. So, okay, he's doing the wrong things in so many respects, but he must have at least some sense that maybe God could forgive. Mm. Yeah, there's a hope there as opposed to despair that just says, I'm a sinner, woe is me. But yeah. there's hope in the cry and the ask, God be merciful, knowing that there's a source of mercy and a, and mm. a hope for mercy that's available to him. Yeah, that is a cry of hope. It really is. Yeah. And I, I'm struck, too, by one of the things I think that this parable, a wrong way of reading it can be to look at it and think, I need to feel extra bad about my sin in order to be justified. <laughs> I, I think that's a wrong way of reading it. If, if, if the right, uh, right way to be before God is to feel bad about my own sin. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. But he's... he's exalting and pointing out the posture of an awareness of our need for mercy and an awareness of our need for God's holiness and uh, to come and to solve the problem of our sin. Right. And, and I think that that doesn't change based on how you feel about it or not. Like if you feel extra guilty, it's not as if God is going to justify you more than if you, if you don't. Right, and I think one of the problems yeah. with feeling extra guilty is we just become obsessed with the one thing, which is back to your sin point again, that sin's really a condition or state that we're in as opposed to a thing we did or didn't do. And, and when we start to feel guilty, we obsess about the one thing. Well, if I could just stop looking at this or talking to them or taking that, then I'd be a good person. Yeah. And, and that's a difficult trap to be in as well. And self-effacement also is a can be a defense mechanism mm. that you can you know constantly be oh I'm I'm the worst I'm the worst I can't believe I did this bad thing and you're mm. always uh, down on yourself so that no one else can actually speak into your life at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You're protecting yourself from oh, someone else criticizing you by getting beating them to the punch. Yeah, but this yeah. tax collector actually goes to the temple and he's expecting or or hoping for real mercy to yeah. actually be healed. Um, we feel, I feel 
exposed without a yeah. European crescendo. Right. Like I don't know, I don't know how <laughs> d- how do you end? <laughs> I have to just get that electrician guy to come in and slam some doors again. Yeah. Like here's <laughs> here's what I want to say is. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, here we go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Of an encouragement, does he? <laughs> to me, the key difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector is where they're looking. The Ooh. the Pharisee is looking at himself and his own deeds. And the tax collector looks to God and his holiness. And he sees himself in light of God's holiness. And he sees his own deeds in light of uh, the righteousness of God that he cannot attain to himself. And the Pharisee is only looking at his own deeds and his own uh, accomplishments. And so I think that for us to humble ourselves before God means to look at Jesus, to look at the holiness of God, to look at what Jesus has done for us, and to know the lie that, uh, that the culture would say, uh, you're good enough. It's a lie because Jesus is the only one who's good enough. And Jesus has has saved me in my unworthiness and in my sin. So look to Jesus. That's How's great. that for a crescendo? It's great. I want to spoil it. Y- you're <laughs> you not. Spoil it? Well, just, just who would you want, uh, which church would you want to join? If, if, if these were your two pastors, which, whose church would you join? Would oh you join man. the Pharisees' church or the yes. tax collector's church? <laughs> I think the tax collector's church would be a lot more interesting. Yeah. Better jokes, I'm sure. Breastfeeding mm. and wailing. Yeah. That sounds nice. I did spoil. I did spoil the crescendo a little bit. We'll forgive you. It's worth asking. Los Yetis will redeem it. They've, they've redeemed the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this. This has been a podcast of Christchurch Fox Chapel. We're very grateful that you would listen, and we'll see you very soon. God bless.